You're listening to a message provided by Antioch Bible Baptist Church in Gladstone, Missouri. We intend this to be a helpful resource to you as you grow in your walk with Jesus Christ. This is intended especially for those who are unable to attend our worship gatherings and therefore were unable to hear the teaching of God's Word. This should not replace your gathering with our church as a member. If you're checking us out for the first time and are looking for a church to visit, we hope that you enjoy this content and that it impacts you personally. Thanks for listening. Well, before we get to the message today, I wanted to take a quick minute because if you aren't around our church often, you just come every once in a while, you're probably used to seeing a guy get up here who's a little bit taller than I am, skinnier, better looking guy who gets up here and has been preaching up here for the last 30 years at Antioch. And I just wanted to let you know that my name is Pastor Steve. And about a year ago, we did a transition at Antioch where I became the senior pastor and Pastor Bob, the guy that you've seen up here for 30 years, transitioned to be our community pastor. And so today I just want to acknowledge, where's Bob at? Is Bob in here? Bob is right. Let's thank Pastor Bob for 30 years of faithfully leading us. So I'm so grateful for him. And so I just want you to know there's been a transition, all right? He's still around. So if you want to see him and hear his voice, go talk to him after the service, you know, and spend some time with him. But Bob, I'm grateful for your faithful ministry. You've been a part of Antioch for 43 years, but for the 30 years as our senior pastor and the 30 years of doing Easter services. And so thank you for your faithful leadership. And I'm so glad you're still part of our family. And um, so just when you see him, tell him thanks for that as well. But I just wanted to let you know. So again, Taller, skinnier, better looking. I'm not that guy, but I, but I am uh, on staff here, and so I'm grateful to be on staff. There's an inevitable truth for each one of our lives. And this truth is that just as you and I all have had a birthday, we're in the room today, there is coming a death day for each one of us. We, we don't know what that day will be, but there will come a day when we will step into the last square, the last box on our calendar. Um, we don't know when it will be, and I'm not a weatherman, but I can almost guarantee you 100% chance that there will come that day that you will step into that last box that God has for you here on earth. The reason I know that is I could go from row to row and person to person in each one of these sections And I could talk to you and you could share stories with me of people in your life that you have lost to death. You could share stories of husband, a wife, a child, a friend, an uncle, an aunt. Even in preparing this and thinking about my own life, there's been a certain man in our church that passed away several years ago. And for some reason, over the last two weeks, I... I've just missed him. There's been times it's like, man, I just wish I could go to lunch with him and sort of work through life together a little bit and talk about things. And as I thought about even this, my first Easter Sunday here speaking, like it would have been so cool for him to be sitting in the audience today. Just, we all are affected by death. We all feel the, the weight of death. In fact, I came across this survey that in 2020 
One, they did a survey of what were the top five fears that people had in 2021. And here, here was the top five fears. Number five was terrorism. Number four was not having enough money for retirement. Number three was mass shootings. Number two was loved one becoming seriously ill. And the number one fear that we had as a culture in 2021 was the fear of a loved one dying. What I want you to notice about these fears is that of all of them, of the top five, four of them deal with the fragileness of life. Four, four of them deal with the fear of death, that it is, it is coming in our lives and the fear that we have in that death. There's a passage of scripture, and I want you to turn your Bibles with me to John chapter 11 today. And in John chapter 11, we come across a story that death is a fear that is happening in a family's life. Their brother is ill, and he's right on the edge of death. And so their fear is that, that number one fear, that their loved one is going to die. And in John chapter 11, verses one through three, we meet the characters of this story that Jesus lets us in on and John writes for us. It says this in John chapter 11 and verse one, now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped her, his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sisters sent to him saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. So we get the characters of the story. We have Lazarus, who's the one that is sick, and we have Mary and Martha, his sisters. And you gotta know a little a context to Martha and Mary and Lazarus. They're really good friends with Jesus. So they're the kind of friends that after Easter, they come over to your house and you have lunch, Easter lunch together, right? That's the kind of friends Martha and Mary and Lazarus were. And so Jesus is away and Lazarus gets sick. And so they send to Jesus and say to Jesus, hey, I want you to know that Lazarus is ill. With the agenda of, they know what Jesus can do. Like maybe Jesus will get back here really quick and he can heal Lazarus, right? And so they reach out to Jesus and let Jesus know, hey, Lazarus, the one you love, the one you have a relationship with, the one that you've spent time with at our house, he is, is sick. And what you think Jesus is going to do is that Jesus is gonna drop everything he's doing and take the 20 mile trip to go and be there with Lazarus and be with the family, right? Like that, if you get that phone call and somebody's reaching out to you to say, hey, they're sick, the initial reaction is like, all right, what do I need to change? How do I need to change my schedule to get there? But look at how Jesus responds in verse four. But when Jesus heard it, he said to the guys that brought the message and his disciples that were with him, this illness doesn't lead to death. It is for the glory of God so that the son of God may be glorified through it. Verse five, now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So again, we're being reminded of the relationship. This is not just some random person. This is a personal family friend to Jesus, right? He loves them. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, 
Instead of going, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. So instead of Jesus jumping up and taking the 20-mile trip, Jesus stayed where he was. It seems like he's insensitive, but he tells us why he's staying for a couple more days. He says, I'm staying because this illness doesn't lead to death. Instead, it is for the glory of God so that the Son of God may be glorified. Jesus is saying, I'm going to use this sickness in Lazarus' life that is actually going to lead to his death. I'm going to use this sickness so that my name can be made known, so that I can be glorified or made much of through this situation. Do you realize today that you exist for the glory of God? That your life is just not about you that your life is about the glory of God. As Jesus is looking at this situation with Lazarus and Mary and Martha, it was more than just about the situation. It was about the glory of God. It was more than just about the sickness. It was about the glory of God. It was more about than just his death. It was about the glory of God. Listen to what Psalms 139 in verse 16, says about your life. Your eyes saw my unformed substance, God's eyes, and in your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there were none of them. So before you and I were ever born, God wrote out our story. Every piece of our story, every box that we would step into, God wrote out the story. And why did he write out the story? Listen to the Isaiah the prophet in Isaiah chapter 43 and verse seven, Isaiah the prophet says, everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made, whom I created for my glory. So every box on your calendar, God has written out your story for his glory. Think about an author of a book. When an author writes a story, they typically have a theme that runs through the story, right? And so every character Every situation, every good thing, every bad thing is always tied back into the theme that is running through the story of the book. As God wrote our story, every character in the story, every situation in the story, every good thing in the story, every bad thing in the story comes back to the glory of God. This is what Jesus is reminding us in this story. This is what John is reminding us from the words of Jesus, that it is all for the glory of God. You have purpose in life, whether you feel it or not, because your life exists for the glory of God. And imagine how different your life would be if you viewed it in that way. If you have purpose and your purpose is to glorify God. So when I go through difficulty, it's to glorify God. When I have really good days, it's to glorify God. When I go through bad days, it's to glorify God. Our lives are to make much of God. You have purpose. You were created for the glory of God. And he reminds us of this as we look at this story is that, listen, I'm gonna take this story 
and I'm going to use it for the glory of God. I'm going to use it to make much of God. Then we come to John chapter 11 and verse 17. Jesus talks with his disciples some, and then we get to this. Jesus is finally on his way, and it says, and when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. So we find out that the fear that Martha and Mary had that their brother was going to die from the sickness actually became a reality for them. They are feeling the weight of death. They understand that 100% chance that all of us will die. They, They feel that. And so Lazarus has died and he's been dead for, the scripture tells us, four days. And why would the author of John, John, be so specific about how many days he was dead? Well, in Jewish culture, what they believed was that a person that when they would die for the first three days, their soul would sort of hover around. And so the soul would hover around for three days, but then on the fourth day, and this is when your body begins to decompose, that that is when the spirit would actually leave or the the soul would leave. And so what they're saying, what the author is saying here by he's already been dead for, or in the tomb for four days, is that he is really dead, right? Like soul dead. His body is beginning to, to decompose. And so the readers would understand that that's why if they put four days in and not three days is that the soul is obviously gone as well and that Lazarus is dead. So Jesus begins to work his way to there and in John chapter 11 and verse 22, 21, you find that Martha, one of the sisters, hears that Jesus is coming and she runs to Jesus and says, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Wouldn't that have been our response as well, right? Like we sent for you two days ago and if you would have come when that time was, you would have made it here in time and our brother wouldn't have died. She's questioning Jesus. Mary, her sister, is going to do this a little bit later in verse 31. And they're sisters, so they say the same thing, right? She comes to Jesus and says to Jesus the same thing. Lord, if you'd been here, my brother wouldn't have died. They're ticked at Jesus, They're frustrated with Jesus. Like, why weren't you here? We sent for you. We knew that you could heal him. Why didn't you come? And haven't we all been there at a time in our lives with Jesus where we go through a valley of the shadow of death or we go through a difficult season and we sort of come to the Lord with the same question, like, Lord, if you had been here, we ignore him the rest of the year, but when things go bad, then it's like, well, why weren't you here? Well, why didn't you come and, and intervene in this situation? So we, we can feel the weight that Martha feels with Jesus. We can feel the emotions that she feels as she says, Lord, if you had been here, my brother died because we've all been there with the Lord. There's been moments in our life where we just question him and say, man, I, I, th- I think if you would have stepped in and intervened, it would have been better than what we're, the situation we're in. But look at Martha. Martha gets back to her faith in verse 22 when she says, but even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. I like one pastor said, he's, he said, this is Martha's bumper sticker Christianity response, right? Like I'm gonna say the right thing now. I'm questioning you and saying, if you would have been here, I wouldn't have died, but, but I gotta say the right thing now. And so I'm gonna say the right thing and I'm gonna say 
but I know that you can do whatever you want to do. You can talk to God. Now, how do you think Jesus is going to respond to Martha? Do you think Jesus is going to scold her? I think sometimes that's how we view Jesus is like Jesus is going to pull her aside and be like, come on, don't you know who I am? Like how long we, I mean, we like hung out in each other's house together, right? Like, don't you know me? And the fact that you would question me, do we think Jesus is going to demean her and like talk down to her and say to her, man, get your act together. I'm God, you know that. But look at how Jesus responds to her in verse 23. I love the comfort. Jesus says to her, your brother will rise again. Jesus doesn't demean her. He doesn't criticize her questions. He simply responds with comfort and says, you know the truth that he's dead, but he's going to rise again. She didn't really capture the whole idea of what Jesus was saying there, but he was comforting her in her moment of questioning. And so I want you to understand today that Jesus isn't bothered by your questioning as you're working through your faith and you're trying to figure out how your relationship with God works, he's not bothered by that. He has a gentle heart. He has a lowly heart, right? He, he is there and he'll listen to you and he'll respond in kindness and love to you. And so I love that Jesus responds that way. But then I love Mary because she drops a theological bomb on Jesus here and says to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day, right? She throws some eschatology at Jesus and says, I know the, what the, how the story goes, right? Like, I know Jesus that he's going to rise again. I've, I, I, we've had this conversation. We know how life's going to work and he's going to rise again. I love Martha's response to Jesus in that way. Like, I know the theology of his rising again. And then we have one of the most profound statements that Jesus makes in all of scripture. Jesus then says to Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet he shall live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? In this moment, Jesus makes this profound statement to Martha. I am the resurrection and the life. Now we read that today and it's sort of like good for him. Like I am a KU fan, right? Or I am this, like Jesus is saying, I am the resurrection and life. But for the first century audience and the Jewish audience that would read this, when Jesus would make these I am statements, and in the book of John, there's seven of these I am statements, their mind would have went back to a story in the Old Testament. And it's a story found in Exodus chapter three. And in Exodus chapter three, if you'll remember that God appears to Moses in a burning bush because it's time for God to deliver his people from Egypt. And remember, Moses is talking and back and forth with God and he asks God, who do I say? When I go stand before Pharaoh to say, let my people go, who do I say is, is sending me? What, what is your name? And God responds to Moses from the burning bush and says, say, I am who I am. I be who I be, right? I've always been and I will always be. And so when Jesus is saying these I am statements in the book of John, Jesus is claiming to be God. 
He is saying, I am the same person that spoke to Moses whom you revere. I'm the same person that spoke to him out of that burning bush. I am. This is huge in their mind for Jesus to be saying that he is God. And Jesus says, I am the resurrection and life. So what Jesus is not saying is, I will provide resurrection and life. Jesus is saying, I am the source of resurrection and life. I am the source of power over death. I am the source of life today. Jesus says, I am the resurrection and life. And then he says, Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Twice Jesus uses this term, belief. In the whole book of John, this word believe is used 90 times. So John's trying to get a point across, right? Like if he uses the word 90 times in his book, it's pretty significant to the life of Jesus and our life. And so Jesus says, whoever believes in me, what does it mean to believe? To believe is to trust. To believe is to trust in someone. Picture it this way. When you came in today, you chose to believe in the chair that you are sitting in. How do I know that you chose to believe in that chair? You sat down on it. If you stood around the chair and said, I believe that this chair can hold me up, but you never sat down in it, would I believe that you really believe that that chair could hold you up? No. Why? Because you haven't placed all of your weight on the chair. You haven't trusted the chair. To believe in Jesus is to trust him with all of your life. Not a part of your life, but with all of your life. You're not sitting on your chair, like sort of standing up a little bit and just sort of weighing on it because you're not 100% sure. No, you are with all your weight sitting on that chair. This is what it means to believe. Jesus says, whoever believes in me, Whoever puts all their weight on me. Listen to John chapter one and verse 12. He puts it this way, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. The idea is to receive, right? To take for yourself, like you would sit in your chair, you're receiving that chair, you're putting all of your weight on it, you're taking it for yourself. So this is what it means to believe. You can't sit in, somebody else can't sit in the chair for you. You have to sit in the chair. You can't, you can't believe, somebody else can't believe in Jesus for you. Your grandparents, your parents, your friend, you have to make the choice to believe in Jesus, to put your full weight in him. James says this, which is interesting, that the demons believe in Jesus. So what's the difference? How can a demon believe in Jesus? And what is Jesus talking about us believing? The difference is a demon doesn't trust in Jesus with their life. So it's just not enough necessarily to just believe. You have to trust. That's the heart of the word is to trust Jesus with your life, is to sit down in the chair. We know the famous verse, John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him, should not perish, but have everlasting life. 
Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. And whoever trusts in me, whoever puts all of their weight on me, they will never, though they die, yet they shall live. And if you believe, you shall never die. Is Jesus talking about immortality here? Well, obviously not, right? Because 33 AD is when he's saying these words and I haven't met anybody who lived in 33 AD, right? So he's not talking about immortality here. What he's talking about is that he has power over death. Now, because of Jesus, we don't have to fear death because he has the power over it because he is the resurrection and life. And it's interesting that he ends this with Martha and he says this, do you believe this? And here's how Martha responds to Jesus. She said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the son of God who is coming into the world. Martha got it. She says, yes, you're not just my savior, you're my Lord. You are the leader of my life and I'm trusting in you. I'm putting all my life on you. The story goes on that Martha and Jesus head to the house and Mary shows up and Mary asks the same question. If you'd been here, Lord, my brother wouldn't have died. And Mary and Jesus dialogue for a little bit. And then you get this verse in John chapter 11 and verse 35. It says that Jesus wept. Now, you didn't know coming Easter Sunday morning that you would memorize a verse, but I'm gonna have you memorize a verse today, all right? So everybody say this verse with me. Ready? One, two, three. Jesus wept. All right, here's the challenge. Close your eyes and say the verse, right? Here we go. One, two, three, Jesus wept. You memorized a verse. There's a piece of candy for everybody when you leave today, right? And you can say, on Easter Sunday, I memorized a verse, Jesus wept. But why would John take this two-word statement and put it in the shortest verse in all of the Bible? Why would he put it in this moment? Because he wanted us, I believe, to understand a couple of things about Jesus. First, he wanted us to understand the humanity of Jesus. That Jesus is not some stoic that doesn't feel. But in this moment, as he is coming into the house and they have professional mourners all around, they would literally hire people who would come in for seven days and they didn't just like shed a tear, they were wailing. And for seven days, these professional mourners would come into these houses in this Jewish community and they would wail and scream and you would feel the weight of death. And so as Jesus is in this moment, he weeps because he is human. He's fully God and he's fully man and he feels the weight of the moment. Jesus doesn't just weep because he feels the weight of the moment. Jesus weeps because of the anger that is welling up in his heart. If you read around there, you'll see that Jesus is beginning to get frustrated, frustrated by sin and the effects of sin of death on the earth and how it affects people's lives. And so he's angry at the, the sin in the world and he's gonna do something about it, but he's, he's angry at that. And so Jesus, I believe, is weeping on two fronts, a, a feeling of sadness in the moment, but also a sense of anger, of death and what it brings, the, the results of sin in the world. The story goes on that after Jesus weeps, he goes to the tomb where they'd put Lazarus in. Remember, Lazarus has been in there for four days. 
And Jesus says to them, I want you to roll the stone away. So the idea is that it was in a, a cave and they would pull out an area for them to bury them. They would put them in there and then they would roll a stone in front of it. And Jesus says, I want you to move the stone. And I love their response to Jesus, especially in the King James Version, because it says, they say to Jesus, but he's gonna stinketh, right? He stinketh. And so I love that. That's just a great Bible word, stinketh. We don't typically use that word today, but I love the, 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 the reality of the moment. As they're thinking about, we're gonna roll this away. It's been four days. His body's obviously decaying. It's oozing out, all that kind of grossness, and it's gonna stinketh. <laughs> and so Jesus says, all right, it's okay okay, go ahead and roll the stone away. And then Jesus begins to pray to his father and he says to his father, you're gonna glorify your name through this. Your glory, remember this is why we all started it. Your glory is gonna be seen through this. And as he prays to his father and then he, he walks up to the tomb and he bends down and he looks in the tomb and he yells to Lazarus and he says, Lazarus, this way, Lazarus, come out. And look at what happens in verse 44 of John 11. The man who died came out, his hands and his feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. And Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. So Lazarus comes out of the tomb like this, right? Like walking like a penguin, right? I, I just picture him, you can't, you bind, your legs are bound, his arms are bound, he's got a covering and he's just listening for the voice of Jesus and he's penguin walking out of the tomb and just like cut that off, right? He has come back to life. Isn't this incredible? Can you imagine, I mean, this is the, you're watching a movie, like this is the last part of the movie when everybody stands up in the auditorium and starts clapping, right? Like this is what's happening in the moment. He has come back to, this is incredible. Who can do this? But here's the, here's the greater part of the story. It, it wasn't really about Lazarus. This was simply a foreshadowing this was preseason, right? This is spring training. This is the dress rehearsal. Because in just a few hours, this is the last miracle Jesus will do. And this is setting up the greater miracle that's about to come. And as Jesus is raising Lazarus from the dead, and there's this sense of, wow, who can do this? Then Jesus begins his descent to the cross, in John chapter 12, Jesus prays. He says this, Father, glorify your name. Isn't it interesting? Jesus knew his purpose. His purpose was to glorify God. And so he says, Father, glorify your name through me. And what that meant for Jesus is that he would go put on, be put on trial, that he would be beat, that his beard would be pulled out, that he would be spit on, that he would be mocked, that he would be humiliated. And ultimately, he would be put on a cross and public humiliation for people to walk by and to be like, who is that guy? Like, who does he think he is? Obviously, death has won the day. And we know the story. After he is hung on the cross and he dies and he finishes what he was sent here to do, they put him in a grave. And listen to what John or Matthew chapter 28 verses one through six says. Now after the Sabbath toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and, and sat on it. 
His appearance was like lightning, and his clothes was as white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the woman, do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he is risen, as he said, come and see the place where they laid him. The one who said, I am the resurrection and the life, proved it three days later when he walked out of that tomb. Death had no power over him and he proved it in that moment. And that's why we've gathered here today. We've gathered here today to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ, that the grave had no power on him, that he truly is the resurrection and the life. And just as the grave had no power over Jesus, the mind-boggling thing for us is the same thing can be true of your life. The grave can have no power on you if you believe in Jesus. So when you understand what he's done for Lazarus and when you understand what he did in that he died and was buried and rose again, we come back to John chapter 11 and verse 25 and now we read this through the lens of the resurrection and Jesus says, I am the resurrection and life. And like, oh, that's true. You weren't there, you were risen. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. And then we get asked this question today, do you believe this? See, Martha had to grapple with it in that moment. You have to grapple with it today. This is the most important question you will ever be asked. Do you believe this? Listen, when you stand before God, you're not gonna be asked how big was your 401k. When you stand before God, you're not going to be asked how many kids you had. When you stand before God, you're not going to be asked how many accolades did you get at work? When you stand before God, you will be asked, do you believe this? This is why this is a question is so very important. Do you believe in Jesus? Every single person in this room, you must answer that question. No one can answer that question for you. You must answer that. Do you believe in Jesus. I think when Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life, he is saying that, do you believe in me for your future salvation? When he says resurrection, I believe this is what he is after. Do you believe in Jesus for your future resurrection? See, John Romans 6, 23 says, for the wages of sin is death. A result of sin in the world is physical death, but also a result of sin is spiritual death, separation from God forever. And so we feel the, the weight of that, but he goes on and says, after the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. 
And so there's a gift that's offered to you, and it's the gift of resurrection through the person of Jesus Christ. In Ephesians chapter 2, Paul puts it this way, you were dead in your trespasses and sins. So all of us were born dead in our sins, but verse 4 says, but God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses and sins, has made us alive together with Christ. And so today, you can have a Lazarus experience because you walked in this room dead in your sins and you can leave this room alive in Christ because he is the resurrection. Do you believe this? It's as simple as saying, I acknowledge God that I am dead in my sin. And that life only comes through you. I believe I'm trusting you with my future salvation. But Jesus just doesn't say, I am the resurrection. Jesus says, I am the life. And and here's the heart of this. Do you believe in Jesus, not just for your future salvation, which is secure. Do you believe in Jesus for your present reality? Jesus is not just fire insurance. And I think too often in the Christian world, we sort of throw that out there. And it's just like Jesus is just fire insurance. So you can sort of live how you want to live right now. You can do what you want with your life now. As long as you've prayed a prayer, as long as you've been baptized, as long as you do these religious things, you're going to be okay at the end. But Jesus doesn't just say, I'm the resurrection. Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. My security in Jesus for my future should change how I live my life today. Because yes, my eternity is secure in him, but it affects the way that I live my life life today. It's not just believing that he's going to save me someday, but it's also believing in the present reality that he is my life today. Uh, There's something that I've been wanting to say for a few weeks and I haven't been able to say it. I've been holding back, but I think it's a good day to say it. And that is rock, chalk, Jayhawk, go KU, right? We won the national champ. I, I didn't say anything last Sunday. I so bad wanted to say something last Sunday, but I held it back. I didn't say anything. We stayed focused, but today I think is a good day to say rock, chalk, Jayhawk, go KU, right? We, we won the national championship, if you don't know that. The basketball team did. So here's why I tell you that. Imagine, you, we mean you don't know each other, and we meet out in the lobby afterward, and we start chatting with each other. And we introduce and we're talking about, hey, where'd you grow up? I grew up in Topeka, Kansas. And where'd you grow up? I grew up in Columbia, Missouri. And it's like, that's obviously going to lead to questions, right? So like, obviously you're an MU Tiger fan. Yes. Topeka, Kansas. So are you a K-State fan or are you a KU fan? And it's like, well, I don't know many K-State fans. So I'm a KU fan. Sorry, rusted in the room today. Um, So I sort of went with KU. I like basketball. So I'm a KU fan. And that you would say to me, well, you must be on cloud nine, right? just won the national championship. If you're a huge basketball fan, like, man, aren't, aren't you so exciting? It's like, yeah, I, I heard that they won that. But the night of the national championship game, me and my wife had some shows to get caught up on. And so it was just like, ah, eh, 
I'm a fan, but I'm not that big of a fan, you know? So we watched our shows that we had to get caught up on and, and then I heard about it afterwards. And you're like, well, that's sort of weird. Like if you were a big fan, you think you would have watched the national championship game. It's like, so you must have watched the game on Saturday night against Villanova when they were in control of the whole game the whole time. It's like, yeah, we thought about it, but it was a beautiful day on that day. And so we went up to Smithville and we walked on some trails and just enjoyed the outdoors. And at this moment, your mind would be like, I'm so confused. You just told me you were a huge KU basketball fan, but you didn't watch any of the final four. Well, maybe you must have watched some of the tournament. It's like, nah, we, we, I didn't really catch any of the tournament, to be honest. You know, it's just it's busy season of life, baseball games, volleyball games, soccer games. Like, I mean, we're going all over the place. It just didn't take time to do it. You would probably go home and you would sit down with your wife and you would say, I, I talked to that pastor guy today and he said he was a huge KU Jayhawks fan. But the weird thing is he didn't watch any of the tournament. It doesn't sound like he even really knows what's going on. You know what you would say? I, I, I heard what he said, but I don't really believe that he's a big fan. Why? Because it didn't affect my everyday life, right? I didn't prioritize the games. I didn't watch them. And this is what we do with Jesus. Oh yeah, I'm a huge fan. Someday he's gonna save me from my sins when I die and go to heaven but he doesn't affect our day-to-day -day lives. I'm too busy. Doesn't he know my schedule? This is what Jesus is saying. I am the resurrection, yes, eternal security, but I am life. This is how Paul puts it. This is how it so transformed Paul's life. My favorite verse in the Bible, Philippians 1.21, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Paul got this. He believed in Jesus. And so for Paul, dying was gain. Why? Because living was Christ. And everything about Paul's life was Christ. He was the source of his life. So when he worked, it was Christ. When he hung out with friends, it was Christ. When he posted on social media, it was Christ. When he interacted with his enemies, it was Christ. And if we want to be men and women and students and boys and girls that understand and believe that Jesus is the resurrection and life, then we will believe in Jesus, not just for our future salvation. We will believe in Jesus for our present reality as well. He will infiltrate every area of our life. So hear the words of Jesus today. I am the resurrection, and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Father, thank you for your word and for inspiring John to write John 11 and recount the story of Lazarus raising from the dead and recount the story of you speaking these words that I am the resurrection and the life.
And we are so grateful, Lord, that you proved those words to be true just hours later, days later, when you would die on the cross for our sins and you would be buried and you would come back to life. And now we are faced with the question that Martha was faced with, do you believe this? So Lord, I pray that if there's anyone sitting in these seats that has never believed in you, they've never put the full weight of their life into you, that today would be the day of their salvation. I pray for the one in the room who has claims to be a follower of you. They can go back to a prayer that they prayed when they're seven years old but their life is not being transformed by you. It's not a present reality for you, for them. I pray, Lord, that you would capture their heart again with the wonder of who you are. That they would be able to say as Paul, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. I don't have to fear death. In fact, I, don't, I can live with a confidence in life now because Christ is with me that causes death to be a gain. Please work in the hearts and lives of all those listening, hearing my voice, whether in this room or online. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, today I, I want to invite you to respond. I, I believe the message pushes us to that. When you end the verse with a question, I think we have to answer the question. So here's how we're, we're going to do this today is in just a minute, the band's going to lead us in a song and I'm going to step down to the front here and we've set up a prayer room right out to the, your left, to my right. And we have counselors that are waiting there to talk with you and to pray with you. And so as you've been challenged with this question today, do you believe this? And maybe you've never believed in Jesus. You've never trusted in Jesus. What I want to invite you to do is when we stand after I pray and you come forward, I'm going to direct you to this prayer room where you can pray with these couples that are waiting for you. And maybe today you're in the room and you just need prayer. Like you look at your life and to be honest, Jesus is not your life. Other things, work, kids, problems, those have become your life. And today you want to just pray with somebody about that. You want to have them pray over you. I would invite you to do that today as well. So, so here's the deal. I'm going to pray. I'm going to invite you to stand. And I want you to respond to the Holy Spirit. Come forward. I'll direct you to the prayer room, which is out these doors in room 101 over here. And you can go in there and you can pray and talk with the counselor. And God will help you and, and he'll guide you and they'll guide you through this decision that you are making today. So I'm going to pray and then let's stand and we'll go for it. Stand with me together. I'll pray and then I invite you to come forward. Father, I pray now that you would move. As we learned a few weeks ago, the Holy Spirit convicts and guides and glorifies. And so I pray right now, Holy Spirit, that you are convicting of sin, righteousness, and judgment. That you are guiding believers into truth. And that ultimately you are being made much of and we are becoming less. And so as we begin to sing this song, draw the hearts of people in this room 
to you today in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening. You're always welcome at Antioch. If you desire more information, please go to AntiochBBC.org. That's AntiochBBC.org. God's best to you.